0: Ephesians six verse four. Okay. (laughs) Ephesians six verse four. Marriage and family, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about fatherhood. That actually that wasn't the plan. Uh, I was just planning to preach Ephesians six verse four, and I got stuck at the word fathers. (laughs) And so I told my sister this afternoon. I called my brother-in-law and sister in Australia. And I said, I'm preaching on the word fathers tonight, on one word. And I said, next week I'll preach on the comma. <laughs> 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 okay, so fatherhood, often Afrikaans, fatherskap. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we come to you, the Most High, God of heaven and earth, Lord of glory. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and Holy Spirit, our Comforter, three in one, one in three, our triune God, all glory, praise, honour, and thanksgiving belong to you who sit on the throne. And even in all our trials and frustrations, our difficulties, our doubts, you remain God. And we know when all this is past, And we are before you and stand before your throne. Without you giving us a single explanation for our trials and the difficulties we experienced on earth, we know the moment we see you, all will be well. And all that is wrong will be made right. And we will be at eternal peace in the presence of our God. We pray that you would speak to us. The lion has roared. Who will not tremble? The Lord has spoken. Who will not prophesy? And we pray that you would open your word to us and give what is needed to everyone present, even to those who are absent, perhaps listening to this online, listening to the recording later on, Lord our God, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. I read an article in preparation for this just to see how does the world think about this. How do unbelievers think about fatherhood? Now, many unbelievers realize the importance of fathers, but a number of unbelievers don't get it at all. I read one article in The Guardian um uh, some magazine or newspaper. And there were a number of celebrities quoted, very famous people like Bill Gates, Lance Armstrong, and Tom Cruise, who basically said, we don't need fathers. We can get by well enough with just a mom. And they gave the example of they themselves that says, I grew up without a dad, and we're fine. And the point of the article was exactly that, to show that fathers are overrated, children do not need dads. My question comes, when I read them saying that, my question to them would be, how do you know you find without a dad? How do you know it wouldn't have been better if you had your mom and your dad present, and especially if they had a good marriage? Well, according to Ephesians 6 verse 4, We need fathers. So let's read the verse. Fathers, it's on the screen also. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm just going to focus on that one word tonight, fathers. And then not next week because I'm doing the sermon on discipleship after the camp, but the week after we'll continue with this verse. So I'm going to give you three commands this evening. The one will be long, the first one, and then the second and the third shorter. First command, think rightly or think clearly about fathership or fatherhood, Father in Africa. Think clearly about fatherhood. When I was 12 years old, in my geography class in primary school, my geography teacher gave each of us in class an opportunity. She wanted to teach us that the world is overpopulated. So she gave each one an opportunity to say, how many kids are you? And I said, four. Too much. Too many kids. How many kids are you? Two. Good. How many kids are you? Five. Too many kids. How many kids are you? And so she went through the class. And if you you were four kids or more than four kids, in her opinion, it was just too many because the world's overpopulated. That story is nonsense. Don't buy that. The world is not overpopulated. When last did you drive through the free state? <laughs> There's lots of space. Ask Api of the Karoo, Northern Cape and Rulf. There's lots of space. The world is not overpopulated and it's not true to say we don't have enough resources. water. That's nonsense. If, if you take only the five richest people on earth... Or the 10 richest people on earth, there's more than enough money to take care of the whole of Africa and to help the poor of just our continent. When the Bible says in verse 4, fathers, that implies it's a good thing to have kids. Paul is writing, God is giving this command, Dads, I want to say something to you. And we can say the same to moms also. But it's a good thing to have children. Children are a blessing from the Lord, Psalm 127 tells us. In 1 Chronicles chapter 26, uh, let me just get my verse, verse 4. I actually marked this in my Bible as I was doing my quiet time. uh, More than maybe three years ago, as I was reading, I said, and I I circled this guy's name, obed Edom, Obed-Edo. And I circled his name and circled his name. And then it said, and the Lord blessed him, for he had many sons. So that is a blessing that the Lord gives these children. Psalm 107 verse 38 and verse 41 says they must multiply like sheep. (laughs) Lots and lots and lots. And that's a blessing from the Lord. So if you can, some people can't have children, I understand that. But if you can have kids, have them. Genesis 1 verse 28. Right in the beginning, God blessed the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And if you can have five kids, have five, seven, ten kids or more. That's fine. Ruth, how many kids were you? Eleven. Eleven kids, great. (laughs) And people look at that and say, are all these yours? (laughs) Yes, they're all mine. (laughs) And so what? Uh, People frown upon it in our society because the ideal is to have 1.7 kids. Have children. And then have them in marriage. Have them in marriage. Uh, Paul assumes in verse 4, when he says fathers, he's assuming this guy's married. How do we know that? Verse 1, children obey your parents, plural. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. So, and in chapter 5, verse 22 to 33, that's a whole passage about marriage. Just uh, the previous section is all about marriage. So Paul is assuming you are married. It's not good to have kids outside of marriage. Why not? Because immediately you put them in a position where there's one parent raising the child. And that is unhealthy for the child. I'm going to say something to parents who are single parents just now. But it's unhealthy for the child. And that's why it's also not healthy for a single dad. So you're not married. Here's a single dad or a single guy or a single lady to adopt children. Or for gay couples to adopt children. That is not healthy and it's not biblical. uh, Because again, you're putting the kid in a position where, okay, now I've got just a dad. Or worse, now I've got two dads. Uh, Or I've just got a mom. Or worse, now I've got two moms. God's will is a father and a mother that children would be raised in that environment. Now, sometimes you can't help. All right. Now, this is where this comes in. Some of you are single parents. And you're in a position where you can't help that. Your husband has died, your wife has died, or your, your husband left you. He upped and left and left you with the kids, or he left with the kids. And so now, here you are, and you're a single mom, you're a single dad. Now, if you can, I know it's not always possible, but if you can, and you have biblical grounds I preached on divorce and remarriage a while back. If you have biblical grounds to remarry, do so. Um, 1 Timothy 5 verse 14, where Paul encourages these young widows to get remarried, to have children and to raise those children. If you can't, if you say, listen, I, 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 don't find, I can't find a husband, I can't find a Christian wife, and you have to raise the children alone. This is what I would strongly encourage you and even command you to do in the name of the Lord Jesus and on the authority of his word. Give those children a strong view of God as a father. Why? Because very often when kids grow up up without a father, then they take that view they have of their earthly dad that just left them and they see God in that light. Now suddenly they have a wrong and twisted view of God. They think God is the same kind of father as their earthly dad. And God is not a father like that at all. Uh, now, I'm going to move fast now. I'm not hardly going to give you time to take notes. You can get all these cross-references on the blog. Uh, Baptista Care, Kenton Park. Uh, unfortunately, it's in Afrikaans. If you want it in English, tell me, and I can just give you the references. I just went to verses. I looked up verses. I went to the verses in my Bible, and not even all of them, just some of them, where the word Father is found, and, and referring to our Heavenly Father. This is the kind of Father God is. He's a perfect Father, Matthew 5 verse 48. He's good and a loving Father, Matthew five forty-five. He rewards His children. That's the kind of Father He is, Matthew 6 verse 4 verse 6 verse 18. He's holy. He cares for us. He forgives us. He protects His children. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And verse 26, He's a Father that hears our prayers, and He gives us good things. Matthew 7, verse 11, He cares about the detail of our lives, the number of hair on your head. Uh, Matthew 10, 29 to 30, He reveals Himself to us. He makes Himself known to us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. He sends His angels to protect His children. Matthew 18, verse 10. He doesn't want us to be lost. He wants us to know Him. Matthew 18, verse 14. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. He's a Father that loves sinners, and He made a plan to save us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and so on. He's a Father that wants us to worship Him. John ten, or John four, verse twenty-three, the father wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's a father he wants to still, he wants to satisfy your spiritual hunger with Jesus. John six thirty two. He's a father that holds you in his hand, he keeps you safe. No one can pluck us from the Father's hand. John 10, 29. He's a Father that will honor those who worship His Son, who serve His Son. John 12, 26. He's a Father. There's more than enough space and place in His house. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, Jesus said. John 14, verse 2. He's a Father who loves you. He wants to live in you and He does live in you if you trust in His Son. He lives in you by His Spirit. John 14, 21, 23 and 16, verse 27. He's a Father that sends His Holy Spirit to teach you. John 14, 26. He's a Father that is glorified when we bear much fruit. So in other words, the the way we live our lives as Christians and we, we bear good fruit, that glorifies our Father. John 15, verse 8. He's a Father who makes... Jesus, He makes himself known to us through Jesus. He makes His will known to us, and He gives what you ask when you pray in His name, says John 15, verse 15 and 16 and 16:23. 16, he is the Father who glorifies His Son, and his son glorifies Him, John 17 verse one. He's a father who protects you from the evil one. And he also protects you and keeps you right to the end. John 17, verse 11 and verse 15. "He's a father who gives you grace and peace." Doesn't Paul write that in his letters over and over? May the grace of our or the grace and peace from God our Father." Romans one verse seven. "He is full of care, compassion, comfort. Mercy to his children. Paul speaks in Second Corinthians one verse three of the God of all grace, uh, the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, and He's the, the Father of mercies and of comfort. 2 Corinthians one three, and He's a Father. He makes you and I His sons and daughters. Second Corinthians six verse eighteen. One John three verse one. He is full of joy. The source of all blessing, the source of all favor. He just pours his blessing, blessings upon his children. Ephesians 1 verse 3. And he gives us free access. Freya Tuchong. He gives us free access to himself through Jesus. You can come to God any time of the day or the night. Tani Lynette couldn't sleep last night and she went to her father and spoke to him. And eventually at 3 o'clock he gave her some sleep. That's the kind of God He is. Ephesians 2, 18, 3, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 2. And then He makes you an heir. He makes you to inherit. I makes you an heir of the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, verse 12. He gives you strength when you are weak. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16 and 17. He gives you many, many, many good gifts, and He keeps on doing it because He never changes. James 1, verse 17, that speaks of um, the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow due to change. He does not change. He cares about widows. He cares for orphans. He cares for the fatherless. James 1, verse 27, Psalm 68, verse 6, Psalm 149, verse 6. He gives us new life through the resurrection of Jesus. Second Peter 1 or 1 Peter 1 verse 3, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to live in fellowship with you. 1 John 1 verse 3. And finally, he disciplines us out of love. That's the kind of father. He disciplines us in love. Why? Because he wants to shape our character so we become all more like Jesus. Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 11. Can I ask you a question? That's a lot of information. Information overload. (laughs) But do you see all of this? Our Father, our Father, what a wonderful Father. Do you want to know this Father? Do you want to know Him, this kind of God? And if you do, how can you know Him? Rolf actually, I think, prayed this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to know this Father... You can know him through his son Jesus. I remember a lady in our church many years ago. She's not here anymore, but she came to me for counselling, and she was in her 60s. And she said to me, "I had a very very bad relationship with my father. I felt rejected by my dad when I was seven years old because he sent me to the hostel. At seven years, I'm this kid. I go to the hostel." And I felt rejected, and I never got over that. And you know that view I had of my dad, I actually projected that view on God. And that's the kind of view I had of God. He's just like my earthly father. So I don't really know God as a father. I've, I've, I know Jesus personally as my Lord and Savior, and I've even a, I, I even did a thorough Bible study uh, of Jesus and his character. And I feel comfortable with Jesus, but I don't feel so comfortable with the Father. And I said to Aneertani, you are wrong. You know the Father. Because Jesus said in John 14 verse 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus said in John 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. And, And we read in John 1 verse 18 that Jesus makes the Father known to us. Jesus shows us the Father. Do you want to know the Father? Everything you read of Jesus, the Father is exactly like that. You know the father, Tani. <laughs> you know the father. Can you think what, and that was an eye-opener to her. What, what an impression. What, a, what an effect will, what kind of an, uh, an effect will this have? How will it affect a little boy or even an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 60-year-old lady who had a bad relationship with her dad? How will it affect her? To know God as her father, as her heavenly father. How will it help her to know this father? It'll be a rock under her feet. It'll be a rock under that young man's feet or that boy's feet. To know, I have a a heavenly father. And, And by God's grace, that person will then be able to be a very stable adult. Or that boy when he grows up, or that girl, to be a stable adult. Even if that dad... That earthly dad was absent. Why? Because the focus has now shifted. I have a heavenly father, and he cares for me. And that's not only a help to fatherless kids. That's a help if you're a dad. That's a help to some of you who really struggle to have a bad relationship with your dad. But, but that's also a help for dads tonight, to know that God is a father. God is a heavenly father, and he's the model father. And that's the father I have to follow. I have to follow that example if I want to be a good dad. Because Ephesians 5 verse 1 teaches us, be imitators of God. Na God, volg na, volg sy voorbeeld. Here's another thing you need to consider if, I'm not at a second point yet, so don't make point two. Another thing to consider um, if if you have kids and their dads are not involved or their dads are absent. I think this is where the church comes in. And I don't think we do this very well. And we must pray to the Lord, Lord, help us to do this better as a church. Children need the example of strong Christian men. You know, my son, I'm at home and My wife and I, by God's grace, have a good marriage, and we love our children and raise them in the ways of the Lord. But Timothy really looks up to the men in this church. Timothy looks up to men who are godly, to men in this church who have a strong Christian character. And I can even see he tries to be like them. That's a good thing, to have our kids and give them strong Christian men, give that example. You see that with the Apostle Paul, right? Timothy... Not my Timothy, Timothy in the Bible. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. That, that's 3 Timothy. <laughs> so Timothy in the Bible, he didn't have a Christian dad. We read that in Acts chapter 16. And in 2 and in, uh, Timothy chapter 1, you, you see that his mom and his grandma, they raised him, they taught him about Jesus, and, and Paul had an influence on him. So he didn't have that strong father. So what did Paul do? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, In the very second verse there. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, To Timothy, my child in the faith. He calls him my child. And in 1 Corinthians 4, um, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, he speaks of Timothy, my child. And then he says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, You have seen my example. you followed my example, Timothy. So that's a good thing. Uh, Another story like that was in the early 1900s. There was a man called Ernest Riesinger. I recently read a biography of him, uh, his, his life story. And Ernest Riesinger only a, became a, a pastor when he was 50 years old. But Ernie Riesinger, on, in October 1929, Black Tuesday, so the stock market crashed, Wall Street, and you know the Great Depression and the whole story. But, but Ernie Riesinger's dad lost all his money when the stock market crashed, when Wall Street crashed. And what happened is the dad, his health crashed and his mind crashed, and he went into he went to an institution. And for the next thirty years, he had to had an, he had, he had, they had to care for him 24 hours a day. Not the kids, but like a nurse or whoever, 24 hours a day they had to care for this dad. So the mom now now here she is with four kids, and they don't have money. It's the Great Depression. So she sends the oldest two. Ernie is one of them. She sends the oldest two to an orphanage, to a children's home. And they're so heartbroken, these kids. But eventually they end up going to a Presbyterian church, to the Sunday school. And there's a man, and his name is Harold Irwin. And Harold Irwin really cares for these boys. He's the Sunday school teacher. And he made such a deep impression on Ernie because Ernie hated it to leave Sunday school and go back to the children's home. And Harold Irwin took out his clean handkerchief and he wiped little Ernie's tears. This little boy, was he 10 or 11 years old, wipes his tears off from his cheeks and his face. And then eventually Ernie gets sick. He's a, this little boy gets sick and he lands in hospital. And who visits him in hospital? Harold Irwin, the Sunday school teacher. Ernie is so overwhelmed. He can't believe it. This is an adult and he cares for a little kid like me and he visits me in hospital. That made a deep impression on Ernie. And when Ernie was 18 years old, he started working. And another man, and by the way, Harold Irwin, I was so surprised. I when I read the biography, I made wow, a smiley. Harold Irwin's son-in-law today is Wayne Mack. That's the guy who taught me counseling. So, wow. Circle this. All right. But then when Ernie is 18 years old, another man influences him, uh, Elmer Albright. And Elmer shares the gospel with Ernie, and Ernie eventually becomes a Christian. Now, my question is, how can we do that in our church? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to watch, uh, be on the lookout in our church, which, what kids in our church their fathers are absent. Or their fathers aren't Christians. They're not teaching them the word. How can we influence those kids? How can we spend time with them? How can you invite them to your house? How can you maybe set up a Bible study with them? In some way influence them. My friend Paul Schlelein, he's got a camp coming up in two weeks' time. And Timothy's going there, not because he's fatherless, but just we think it's a good influence. It's called uh, Godly Young Men's Camp. So what Paul is trying to do, in Paul's setting where he's a missionary, most of those kids don't have dads. So he's trying to influence them. And I think that's a good way to influence. It's for 80, 14-year-olds. Or maybe we... I've been thinking about this, roof. We need to talk about this at elders' pre-meeting and elders' meeting. And when Chris... Uh, I need to talk to him about this. How can, how can we get involved? Because James 1... Verse twenty-seven has been nagging at me and gnawing at me, and it's bothering me a bit, because James one verse twenty-seven says, "says this is true religion." He's varekhutstins. True religion is that you visit orphans and widows in their suffering and their affliction. And when it says visit, doesn't mean sitting at their house drinking tea. It means visiting them with the finances they need. Like it says, God visited His people and sent rain and food and bread in that way. So how can we get involved? With, with an orphanage uh, or a children's home. And then also the verse goes on, keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, my friend Leon Haramsa, who's a pastor at Sunnet Park Baptist Church in Boxburg, but he lives in Kempton. He's involved at a children's home in Kempton Park. How can we get involved with a children's home? Maybe financially, and then start inviting those kids to church. I don't know where they go to church. Is there a way we can get involved I think that will be pleasing to God. You know, George Muller, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, many great Christians in history started children's homes. That's a way to do this, fatherhood. They don't have dads. How can we be there and, and give them that example that I want for Timothy? I want Timothy to see strong Christian men. Can't those fatherless kids also see that? All right, number two. Now, that was a long point, number one. Number two and three are a bit shorter. Be spiritual. Wees geestelijk. Be spiritual. If you want to be a good father, be spiritual. Now, nowadays, it's popular to speak of spirituality. In Afrikaans, it's julle little al gehoor in van, Now, what they mean by spirituality is, if you're really spiritual, you light candles, and you just empty your mind, and... Or you repeat a word over and over like peace, 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 peace. Or love, 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 joy, joy. And you keep on saying that until you have peace. <laughs> that's not biblical Christianity. Uh, that, that's actually a mix of Buddhism and New Age philosophy and Christianity and uh, Chinese religions and uh, mystical Roman Catholicism. That's not Christianity. And that has especially become popular among the liberals. You see this at the tukis, the guys training pastors there. Some of those guys, they're into this mysticism and uh, spirituality. That's not what I mean when I say be spiritual when I'm talking to fathers. What, What I mean by saying be spiritual is I mean be saved. Get saved. Do Ephesians 1, chapter 1 to 3. That's salvation. You need to be saved before you get to Ephesians 6. What I mean is that you must have an active and living and vital and constant and consistent relationship with the Lord. What I mean is you need Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, is los But be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? You get filled with the Holy Spirit by drinking this book like some people drink Coca Cola. Just drink in the Bible. Drink in the Bible. Drink in the Bible. Lots and lots and lots of it. Why? Because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, read the book inspired by the Spirit. And you read lots of it, and you obey that Word, and you do what God tells you. If you are a father, and you're not in the Word of God, and you're not in the Word of God often, you will never be the dad God wants you to be. You cannot be the father God expects you to be. And that will definitely have a negative, negative effect on your kids. Because the children's, the children's spiritual well-being, the, the child's spiritual well-being is directly influenced by the dad's spiritual well-being. And I know the mother also, but I'm talking to dads tonight, especially the dads. Psalm 128, I just want to read you some verses here. Psalm 128. Verse 1, listen to this, where I'm, I'm trying to show you, draw the line between the dad's relationship with the Lord and the kids. Psalm 128, verse 1 Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Verse 3 Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the children around the table, the children growing up with a Christian worldview. Why? Because the dad is taking leadership seriously. And he's taking his relationship with the Lord seriously. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. You fear God, you respect God, you honor God, you follow God, and your children will be blessed. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. If you're an upright man, that influences your children. And they will be blessed, says the verse. Now maybe you say, some. I, I, I hope no one here says it, but maybe there's someone watching this recording, or you're listening to the sermon online right now, the live stream, and you say, I can be a good dad without God and without the Bible. I know unbelievers, they're good dads. They're not even Christians. They don't love the Lord. They don't read the Bible. No, you cannot be a good father without God and without the Bible. Yes, you might take care of your children. Yes, you might teach them some moral values. But where did you get that? It's the common grace of God, even to an unbeliever. And secondly, you cannot be a good father because you cannot influence them for salvation. You cannot set that rock under their feet of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't care about your children. Yes, you say you do. Yes, you say you take care of them and you're not even serving Jesus. No, you don't. If you don't care what happens to your kids when they die, what's going to happen after death to those children? If you don't care about that, you don't you're not a good father. You might care and might give them food. You might give them Cocoa Pops. You might give them um, Tropica to school or or pocket money, but you don't care about their souls. Then you're not a good dad. So I want to... Maybe I should rebuke you and say you should get in a right standing with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and grow in a relationship with Jesus and then be, be the father God calls you to be. Finally, number three, set the pace. Here he passes. Set the pace. A good father is not a goat keeper, a book He's not a keeper of goats, chasing the goats. Come on, come on, come on. No, he's a shepherd of sheep. He, he leads and says, come, come, come. He follows. He leads by example. He's not a coach, a 400-meter coach or an 800-meter coach standing uh, next to the track and shouting, Faster, faster! No, he runs ahead. He sets the pace. He says, Come on, I'll run with you. I'll give you the pace. That's what a good father does, what a biblical father does. Now, obviously, um, this goes for moms, for mothers also, that mothers also have the responsibility to teach their children, because it says in verse two, honor your father and your mother. So the mother has a responsibility. Uh, Proverbs one verse eight, actually many verses in Proverbs. I've I've just taken a couple of samples and examples. I've got them in my notes. Uh, Proverbs one verse eight, for instance, and a number of others that says. Um, here, when your father speaks, when your mother, the teaching of your mother, do not despise your mother when she's old. So the mother is very important also, but Paul here focuses on dads. Why? That's it. The father's, the father's actually the leader. The father's the head. Verse 23. Husbands, it says the husband's the head of his wife, and obviously then the head of the family. So he's, he's the head of his children, he's the leader, but he also he's also talking to dads because dads are tempted to not do verse 4. Dads are tempted to disobey verse 4. When Paul speaks here, dads are tempted to be passive and just sit back and let the mom do everything. Dads are tempted. Do you know, do you know dads who are too strict? They're too strict. It's like they, yeah, okay. You know that. Dads who are too strict. Uh, do you know dads who are just absent? They're not involved in their kid's life. Leave the mom to do everything. That's it, guys. Uh, you grew up with, with that kind of situation. Do you know dads who don't discipline their children? They just leave it to the mom. Yeah, your mom will discipline you. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you know dads who don't lead family worship? They don't lead their families in reading the Bible and pray. I remember my wife, uh, a couple of ladies who were almost, I I wouldn't say shocked, but I would almost say shocked. Maybe shocked is the wrong word. But when they heard that I lead family worship, they were like, oh, my husband doesn't do that. And the other lady said, yes, my husband doesn't do that. We have to do that. We have to teach the children the Bible because the dad doesn't do that. Do you know fathers who don't take their children to church? Or they even give the kids the option. You know, if you want to go to church, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine. We're Actually, these, we don't have men with backbone. We don't have men leading their families saying, come on, we're going to worship the Lord. So they barely have a spiritual influence on their children. According to verse 4, the dad must set the spiritual temperature, the spiritual thermometer. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If the dad is spiritually weak, the children will very easily follow. They're watching the leader. Okay, dad does that. Let's follow. And that's why Paul says here, Dads, you need to take up responsibility. Dads, you need to take leadership. It it, it has a negative effect on children if dads are absent, if dads are uninvolved. Proverbs 27 verse 8 says, when a a dad just leaves his house, that's like a bird leaving the nest. Oh, they are the chicks. No more worms for you. No more food. It has a negative effect if the mom is left to raise the children alone. You see, what happens is kids without a dad... What are they going to do? Very often, they're going to try and find security somewhere else. They don't feel safe. They're looking for security. And what happens sometimes, if you get boys, and the dad is up and left, and the boy, he wants security somewhere. Or maybe the dad hasn't even left. He's just not involved. The boys want security, and then often, they look to another man for security. And what happens? In some cases, they become homosexual because now I've got a man who cares for me, a man who looks out for me. Or girls, the dad is not involved, they're looking for security somewhere, and they find it in other men, and then she gets pregnant, out of wedlock, and the, and the story repeats, now there's no dad again. And that kid grows up with a mom, because the guy just wanted her for sex, and then he leaves. And some boys, they look for it in gangs. Because they want security. At least this gang, they accept me. I'm, I'm, one, of, I'm one of the men. I'm one of the boys. And, and, you know, I'm accepted. This is my family now. And they get involved in crime. And they get involved in drugs. They get involved in alcohol. Or maybe they, they become depressed, some of these kids. Because dad is not there. There's no security. They become depressed. They become bitter. And they hate their fathers. Vody Bakum, uh, I read an article of his uh, in preparation for this. And he wrote this. In the very first paragraph about a a group, this group came to a prison. And they wanted to just help these guys in prison. So they said, hey, we've brought cards. You can just write your name in the card and and the address and we'll post it for you. And for Mother's Day, send your mom a card. And the men lined up in this prison. We want to write a card for mom on Mother's Day. And the group said, well, this this was an excellent idea. Let's do the same on Father's Day. And what happened on Father's Day? No one was interested. They ate their dads. Their dads weren't there. Their dads weren't interested in them. And so now, they're not interested in their dads. So an uninvolved father, an absent father, is the scourge of society. It's a plague. It's a plaag van die same You know, my, my dear friend Paul, I actually wrote him an email yesterday, and, and on Friday I sent him a WhatsApp about this. One day, Paul and I were driving in the village where he's a missionary, and next to the side of the road, there's all this trash, all this rubbish, papers, and all but you ate a swart socks, mate. And he said, this is because of fatherless homes. So I I asked him yesterday, I said, Paul, I have an idea what you meant, but please clarify. Please explain. What did you mean that day? And the problem is that there's no dad. So you've got, and that's common in the village. You've got these kids, they don't know who their dad is, or they do know, but he's not involved, he's living in the city, and they're just at home. And so there's no one to teach them hard work. There's no one to teach them self-respect. There's no one to teach them be neat. There's no one to teach them love your neighbor, don't throw your empty KFC bag in front of his house. There's no one to teach them these kinds of things and to be unselfish. And, as Paul told me, he said, why should the kid not throw the trash in front of your house if the dad threw his wife away like trash? That's the example he has. So be involved with your children. And that also goes, some of you are divorced. It goes for you if you're divorced also. Be involved with your children. Be involved with them. Don't be absent fathers. Visit them as often as you can. Call them as often as you can. Have them visit you. Um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, no alimony. What's now a makkelijke word for alimony? Betaal honor in Afrikaans. It's not underwood, roof. <laughs> Put all on a out. Maintenance. 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 Pay maintenance. Don't let your kids look back one day and say, you know, my dad was a wimp. My dad was uninvolved. My dad didn't care for us. Don't let the children say that. Buy them gifts. Remember their birthdays. Call them on special days. Be at their sports events. Be at their prize givings. I remember when I was 12 years old, a boy in my class, I was 13, he was 12. And we were walking home from a sports event and I saw he had tears in his eyes and he tried to hold it back. And I said, what's wrong? He said, my, uh, his parents were divorced and he said, my dad promised he would come and he didn't come. Poor kid, man. Poor kid. So mothers, can I just say to the mothers, if you're divorced, please don't withhold your kids from the dad. Don't withhold the kids from the dad. Unless the dad is a drunkard and a drug addict and you know that kind of thing, you understand? Because they need a dad. So what will what will be the consequences? What will be the effect if a dad is not involved in his kid's life? If he's absent. Okay, but what will happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen to boys if the dad's not involved. The boys won't have an example of what is a strong leader, what is a man to lead uh, uh, and to take up responsibility. They won't have the example of uh, a dad who loves his wife, to say, okay, this is how you love a woman. This is how you protect a woman. They won't have the example of this father. This is how I must serve the Lord and follow Jesus. So be involved with your kids. Teach your kids. You know the book of Proverbs, Spreken, eh? Go and read the first couple of chapters. You don't even have to read the whole chapter. Just look at the first verse of every chapter, from verse two, chapter 2 onward. Chapter 1, verse 8, and then you go to chapter 2, verse 1, 3, verse 1, 4, verse 1, 5, verse 1, 6, verse 1. And you see, my son, my son, my son. He's teaching his son. Let me tell you what's going to happen to a girl if her dad is absent. What will happen to a girl is if, if she doesn't have a father who showers her with love and who gives her lots and lots of hugs, No, Jennifer likes hugs, and I try to give them hugs, and she sometimes says, I need more hugs. Give them hugs. If you just walk past in the passage, stop and give them hugs. And Nicole, (laughs) it's a bit weird. (laughs) Okay. If they don't have that, they don't have security. They don't have, this is my safe place. My dad is strong. My dad will protect me. And then they see I don't have a dad who's going to protect me they don't then have that dad to protect them when boys want to abuse them sexually. Because many boys they just they have one thing on the, on the brain. And now there's no dad to protect them. There's no dad to protect them if a boy has been rude. A dad should stand up and say, hey, i met talked doctor my daughter, Lighty. And then sort will om out. Yeah. Craig, yeah. you understood that, hey? Okay. <laughs> Another thing is she has no father to tell her, that is immodest. You can't dress that way. If boys see you, they're going to lust. You must tell your daughter, you can't wear that. Okay? This is what you should wear. This is modest dress for girls. And, and what happens then is she starts attracting the wrong kind of men because of the way she dresses. And then she has no dad to give strong spiritual leadership. And so what happens now is she doesn't know what kind of man to look for. When she gets married, she'll just take this guy because he's nice and he's, he opens the car door. But he only does that when, when he's interested in her. Uh, but she doesn't know what kind of man to look for. So can you see that? We, we're nearing the end. Can you see that, that we need strong dads? We need strong fathers. Uh, just like we need strong mothers for other uh, reasons. But we need strong fathers. Be that dad. Be that dad. You're a friend to your child, but not that kind of friend. Because sometimes you have a dad, he doesn't want to discipline his children. Hey, I don't want to be I'm the good guy, I'm not the bad guy. He doesn't want his kids to be angry at him or not like him. No, they need strong fathers who will take leadership and who will discipline them, who will love them lots and lots and lots, but also be firm. And and some of them won't like that. Some of the kids they won't like that at the moment, but they'll feel safe. Because that dad that disciplines me, he also loves me and buys me ice cream. And that dad who disciplines me and that dad who teaches me, he'll protect me when there's danger. Okay, can I close by saying this? You're listening to this sermon and you're saying, I blew it. I just messed up. I wasn't that kind of dad. Okay. God's mercy is greater than your sin. And say, if your kids are still small, you have a chance to set that right. And if your kids are grown up already, God can make straight what you made crooked. God can do that, that. So confess your sin to God and confess to your children. And say, you know, I wasn't the father God wants me to be. Please forgive me. And then start rebuilding that relationship. And... Uh, call them and show them deeds of kindness and acts of kindness and love and try and rebuild the relationship. Now some of the kids may not want that. They're so angry at you, they don't want anything. Then don't stop praying for them and don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God can fix that. God can restore that relationship and bring change. And I'll close with this story of a man I knew. He died last year. Was it last year? But this man, he was a very bad father. And only when his kids were adults, I think they might even have had kids already, that man got saved and he changed and he grew spiritually. And then he cried because he heard some biblical teaching on being a father. And he said, I wasn't that dad. And he called his pastor and said, I was a terrible dad. And he cried over the phone when he told his pastor this. But the power of the gospel, man. And he asked for forgiveness, first to the Lord and then his children. And one of the sons didn't want anything to do with him. But the other children accepted their father's apology and confession and he started rebuilding that relationship and it went slow. But when he lay on his deathbed, the love between him and his children, it was tangible. How they loved him and how he loved them. Listen, no dad is beyond the reach of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Father in heaven, I pray that you would indeed come by the power of your word, where you have cut open hearts, perhaps this evening, that you would apply the medicine of the word and bring healing and restoration and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. All I have to add is the way I ended. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all all who believe. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, and He has saved you and cleansed your heart and your conscience, then like Ruf shared in his testimony, or when he gave the testimony this evening, And now, just in another sense, the death wish of Jesus, your best friend, your Lord, your Savior, His death wish was that you will remember Him in this way. Uh, So if you have been saved, even if things are not right in your life, why postpone? Why put it off till tomorrow? Why not fix it right now? And come to the Lord and say, Lord, please, cleanse me of all sin and rejoice that there is forgiveness for you. Let us thank the Lord for his body that was broken for us. O Lord, glory, honor, praise, and thanksgiving belong to you for shedding your blood and that your body was broken for us on a cross. Thank you for saving us, for giving us eternal life and forgiveness and redemption and adoption and justification and sanctification, and more than all of these things, thank you for you, for you as our personal Lord and Saviour, for you, God our Father, and for you, the eternal Spirit of the living God who dwells in us. Amen. Let us do this in memory and in remembrance of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour.
1: Father, this table is a revelation of your love to the world, because you've given your only begotten Son to save the world, to redeem the world, and thank you that you loved us so much. That you did not spare your only son, but uh, gave him as a sacrifice in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was spilled to save us. That you've been obedient up to the cross. And today, we are washed in your blood, whiter than snow, whiter than wool, because you've given us life eternal. Amen.